You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Figure out how we're to uh, live and, and relate to one another, and so I hope that this has been incredibly encouraging for you in working out some of those things in your life. James chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. We're going to pick up uh, this week a two-part um, command, really, that James gives, really beginning in chapter 3 and leaning into chapter 5. James actually deals a whole lot with one particular subject, and I think that it's uh, one that we all struggle with. Um, I, I don't think I'm alone in the room in saying that. Um, it's the issue of our mouths. How many of you ever now and then your mouth can get ahead of your thinking? Anybody in here in the room? All right, the rest of you are already lying, so we'll cover that later. But uh, at any rate, sometimes our mouths run ahead of our thoughts. Um, and James tells us that there is something about this one another command that does not just impact the things that we do for or with one another, uh, but it actually impacts the way that we speak to one another. This actually, these two, this week and next week, are actually the negative side of what we saw last week. Uh, And last week we talked a lot about encouraging one another and building one another up. So what is it that James would have us to see and to understand about loving one another? If you found your place, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. James chapter 4, and look with me just at two verses this morning, beginning in verse 11, and we'll read verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be instructed and encouraged by your word. God, thank you that you have given us instruction in how we're to relate to one another. And Lord, many of our relationships are broken because of the wrong use of our mouths, our tongue. And God, we often find ourselves in the middle of conflict because we haven't been obedient. And Lord, I, I, for one, do not want to be... One of those this morning, simply because I didn't know. And so I pray, God, that you would instruct us and give us wisdom from your word. But Lord, I pray that even more than that, you would convict our hearts of where we fall short of this command. And God, I'm afraid that it is that it is in more subtle ways than we could even imagine. So, Lord, would you reveal to us by your spirit our lives? Would you search us and see if there is any wicked way in us? And would you lead us? 
in the way everlasting. Lord, I, I pray that if there is one here this morning who's never trusted in Christ, that today you would lead them in the way everlasting. That is through your Son, by your blood, and salvation that comes only through you. And God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so there was this letter in the New Testament written that would go to one particular church. It was a letter written actually by one of the leaders of the churches, the leaders of this church um, that would be written. It was the book of James, this letter written to go specifically to the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church had problems just like every other church has problems. But one of those problems in particular was that they had this pious, self-righteous kind of opinion or perspective on the world around them. There was this looking down on those around them who were not like them, not as holy, not as righteous, didn't live as 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 perfectly according to God's standards. And, and so they would often look at people around them and condemn the world around them. And the same kind of thing happened within the church. Inevitably, when you have a, a church full of self-righteous people, you have a church that also is at war with one another. And oftentimes you would find the church at Jerusalem fighting and arguing and, and they would even have to call special meetings in order to deal with uh, the kind of arguing and, and, and uh, complaining and, and murmuring that was happening within the church body. And that's uh, what we see in the church at Jerusalem. In fact, if you were to follow the church at Jerusalem throughout the book of Acts, that's what you'll see. A church that continually was at odds with one another and at odds with the people around them. Well, one of the things that got them in trouble quite often was their tongue. And so as you read the letter that James wrote to the church, just trying to give them some direction and some uh, rebuke for the kinds of ways that they were living, he often talked about the tongue. Go back with me to chapter 3 and you'll see some pretty stern rebuke when it comes to how they use their, their mouth, the words that they spoke. Notice there in verse 2, chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. Is that not true? Does that, that put you in that category this morning? We all stumble in many ways. And he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, what he says, the words that he uses, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide our whole bodies as well. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Notice the beginning of this, first, or this next paragraph. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He goes on to talk about the, world, the tongue being a world of iniquity, a world of unrighteousness. Oftentimes we don't even realize how fast we're getting ourselves in trouble by the words that we say. We just spout off things that maybe we didn't think about or maybe we didn't mean, but in reality it creates so much destructions. How many of you husbands know that in the room? Right? Sometimes you say things and, and you just let your tongue fly off the handle and then our wives never let us live it down. Amen? It doesn't ever go away. It's, you know, you can't ever make up for what you said. Held over your head 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years later. 
Still the same old thing keeps coming right back up. Yeah, I got my wife raising her hand back there. Anyway, amen, preacher. Preach it this morning. Yes. But our tongue, we don't realize how quickly our tongue can get us in trouble. James says it sets a whole forest on fire. We often, we know what that looks like. You think about the fires in California, the fires out west, and how quickly just a little thing can set a whole place ablaze. We, we know about the, the, place in, the, the place we all love there in Gatlinburg that was set on fire by just a few moments of indiscretion. And yet, we have that same kind of indiscretion when it comes to our tongue. So James goes on not only to deal with that, go over to chapter 4, he, he says that this is causing some things in you. Chapter 4, he says, what causes quarrels? You want to know what the source of your marital conflict is? You want to know what the source of church conflict is? You want to know what the source of countries going after one another are? Here's what it is. What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He brings it right back to the tongue issue. You're you're fighting and you're quarreling with one another. The reality is, it's because there is this internal drive that's that's driving desires that are not right and ultimately driving words that are not right. And you're in a fight for yourself and that's why you, you fight and you quarrel with one another. And so it's in that context or upon that foundation that James gives the command at the middle or toward the end of chapter 4 that he does when he says to us, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. You would, you would think that that's not something that has to be said in the church. You would think that, that believers, people who love Jesus, wouldn't have to be told not to talk badly about one another. And yet, this is exactly what James teaches. He says, don't speak evil against one another. And he uses this word that he constantly uses in the book. Brothers, remember, remember, brothers and sisters, that you are a part of a family that God has created by the very blood of His only Son. God has saved us, and so we treat one another as if we are chosen precious in the sight of God, he says, do not speak evil against one another. In other words, it's the word slander. A word that we find throughout Scripture. Don't slander one another. And so let me just make this statement to you on the authority of Scripture and based upon that context in this one command. Slander among brothers in the body of Christ is evidence of worldliness in the church. And it must be put away. Slander among brothers in the body of Christ is evidence of worldliness in the church. And it must be put away. What is slander? What does he mean by speaking evil against one another? What kinds of things would he include? Slander is when someone says something that is untrue. Uh, Something about a person that may be completely untrue or at least exaggerated, and they say it intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but most of the time intentionally in order to damage others, other people's view of that person. Oftentimes it projects negative qualities onto a person that are not really there or at least that are distorted or exaggerated beyond what they really 
are. The intent is to bring down their reputation or to bring down other people's view of them. In fact, sometimes slander is true, but it's simply said to cast a bad light on a person in the eyes of another. So what then is the difference between slander and maybe gossip? Not a whole lot of difference. They are sister sins. Slander is the the thing, the very thing that starts the fire, and gossip is the thing that spreads it. Slander is the thing that would be the accusation that would create chaos, and gossip says, I want that chaos to go as far as possible. And by the way, it's normally divisive, and it ends up destroying relationships and affecting a whole lot of people. In fact, it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy to divide the church and to distract the church from its mission. Slander. How do we do those kinds of things? Sometimes slander is bold and brash. Sometimes it is intentional. We want to get back at someone and repay them for what they've done to us. Sometimes our own bitterness toward another person is so deep and so stirred that we want to make sure that they hurt as much as we hurt. And so we intentionally tear them down in the eyes of other people, making sure that they are not anything that would be uh, desirable, not anything that would be praiseworthy. And we tear them down intentionally. We've already looked at a passage that warns us about this, haven't we? Ephesians chapter 4. Paul wrote to the church there at Ephesus, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and listen, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so I think in the church we often find ourselves in this place where we are trying to get even because we're so hurt and we're so frustrated with whatever it is that is taking place. But other times... Slander is often more subtle. We do it in ways that we don't think about and it's more deceptive. Deceptive. Sometimes we pass along information that seems to be harmless. But the result of our passing along that information is that the other person thinks less of the person that we're speaking of. They didn't have that kind of thought about that person before. And sometimes I think if we're honest, we'll say that that was really somewhat of our intent. We may exaggerate something that's happening or emphasize the negative parts of a story, but we really want that person to have a lesser opinion of the person that we're describing. And most of the time it's because we want to exalt our own opinions, our own ideas, our own preferences, our own way of doing things, and and so on. Sometimes... Slander can take on a whole different form. Sometimes we have a very real concern for people. This often happens in the Connect Group uh, meetings or it happens in prayer meeting. And again, I'm not singling out anyone in particular. Uh, Sometimes it happens in other small groups where we give prayer requests. And we have legitimate concern for people. But in the end, what we're doing is we're casting a bad light on the people that we're asking prayer for. And it's, it's legitimate. At the same time, there is a slight kind of ulterior motive, if we were honest. And then sometimes, sometimes we do it intentionally, but cloaked in other things. I think about the way that we spend our time on social media often. 
Or we'll do what I call and what others call vague booking. And we'll write something that just intends to be a general instruction to the world. And yet, in reality, we know that we've targeted one particular individual, hoping that they see it. All of these things are slander. The target can be community leaders. The target can be church leaders. could be our neighbor. could be a particular person around town. We may have some sort of a vendetta or a, a, a distrust or a dislike for a group of people around town. Maybe one particular church. We often make comments about that particular church. It could be a family member, a co-worker. It could be some other agency. If you work for one agency in town, it could be another agency in town or another business in town. The Bible warns us about slander in all of these arenas. Proverbs has much to say. Listen with me to the writer of Proverbs and what he says about slander. Proverbs 12 and verse 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. (laughs) I don't don't know if that's you, that's ever been you, but saying something because you're out for blood. He says, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Your words, if you're not a slanderous person, your words are spoken for redemption, not for condemnation. Proverbs 11, verse 9, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Proverbs 16, and verse 28, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Many a friend has been separated because of gossip and slander. Proverbs 6 tells us that there are six things that the Lord hates. And on that list, verse 19, chapter 6 and verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates slander in the church. Not only does James say that we shouldn't do it, he goes on to describe really what, it was, what it's all about and where it comes from. If you just flip back to chapter 3, you'll see it. Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he deals with this slander idea of the use of the tongue, saying that if you have bitter jealousy, this is chapter 3 and verse 15, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. Listen to the way he describes this. But it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Boy, that makes us rethink what we post on Facebook, doesn't it? Makes us rethink before we open our mouths to speak against another person. Or at least it should. If you're a believer in this room, at least you should be thinking, how, how can I use my words to honor Jesus? Because I don't want to be demonic. That's, that's what I was saved from. And so I want to live my life so that my words are building up and my words are redemptive in nature. And James says that if if you're slandering one another, even in any sense of the word, that that does not come from the Lord at all. It comes from what is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so we've got to be guarded. So incredibly guarded that you and I don't slander one another, not even unintentionally. Guard your tongue. Why is it that we should 
guard our tongue? Why is it that slander is so sinful? Well, James gives us some reasons, two of them actually, two reasons why that this slander, this practice of of speaking evil against another person, whoever it may be, is is sinful before God. The first reason is that slander of one another is slander of God's law. When you slander another person, when you speak evil against another person, you're actually speaking evil against God's law. Notice what he says here. He says that the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother... Don't take that word too far. We're going to explain it in a moment. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So James says, listen, church, if if you are speaking against one another, you're not just saying mean things or harsh things, maybe even true things for the purpose of tearing down. You're not just saying those things about that believer. You're saying bad things. You're speaking evil against all that God has told us to be and to do. You're looking at God's law and you're, you're having the same heart, the same attitude, the same desire to tear it down that you do to, to, to tear one another down. Why would James say that? Well, remember, this is the church at Jerusalem. They were very familiar with what God expected of them. Leviticus 19, a part of the Old Testament law, something they would have been very familiar with, says this, Leviticus 19 and verse 18, or rather verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So he ties it to his very personhood. And then verse 17, he ties it to the great commandment. He said, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall take vengeance. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is not an unfamiliar command. So notice what's happening here. Remember that Jerusalem is the church that's looking around them and saying, all of you are doing the wrong things. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. In fact, they were even looking at people who were not Jews and saying, I just don't see how they can do worship in this way and live their lives in this way. They ought to be circumcised. They ought to follow the law. And God is not pleased with their lives. They've got to do these things in order to be saved. And James calls them to carefulness. Be careful. Because when you're so condemning of the world around you, you have a blind spot to your own life. And you miss the reality that you are disobeying by slandering them. You are disobeying the very command that I've given you. And therefore, inasmuch as you hate your brother, you also hate my law. By the way, this is a measure that James gives them constantly. That they should constantly measure their faith by their what? Works. If your faith is real, then you will have works also. I will show you my faith by my works. If you live a life according to God's Word, it demonstrates that you have been saved by God Himself. We often want to hold others, listen to me carefully, We also often want to hold others to the fire, hold their 
feet to the fire to live according to a standard that if we were to check our own hearts, we fail to measure up to as well. We often hold others to a standard that is beyond what we're able to meet. We have blind spots in our life. By the way, our relationship to the law is different now. James is saying to them, no, you love your brother because you've come to love Jesus. You see, we we have come not to want to obey the law out of duty anymore, but delight. The psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Our new life is loving of the law and loving the authority of the lawgiver. Let me say that to you again. The new life in Jesus is loving both the law that God has given and the lawgiver, God Himself. We love His authority in our lives. We, we submit to His authority in our lives because we love Him. The person who says, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus, but I, I'm just going to keep doing these kinds of things in my life. I, I would say to that person, you may say you have some semblance of love for Jesus, but to love Jesus is to love His authority, to submit to who He is in our life, and so to hold others accountable and to be condemning of others and critical of others, especially in things that may or may not be God's expectation of them, and that may or may not be only your expectation of them. To be critical of others in that way is to be nothing more than a hypocrite yourself. Obedience must be dealt with within me before obedience is dealt with outside of me. We had this conversation Wednesday night in prayer meeting. I think sometimes we get the idea that, that our, our sinfulness is a, a, a projection of the world onto us. That somehow we, we, we want to disregard God's law, but when we do, we make an excuse about the world around us. But the sin is within us. We are sinners separated from God and we are being saved and sanctified by His hand. And so the sin is within us. And our motive in dealing with others can often taint our own, our own witness and our own dealing with their, their, their sin. And so we look at the law and we say the law is not good enough for us. But secondly, we become a slanderer of one another and in turn we become a slanderer of God's character. Slander of one another is slander of God's character. James goes on to say that there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. And so he's not talking about a judgment that comes in this life of discerning what is right and wrong. Don't miss that. God has already said what is right and wrong. And there is a need for us to discern what is right and wrong. And yet he says that there is only one who can judge ultimately, namely, one who can save and one who can destroy. That is God Himself. And so He asked the rhetorical question, not meaning for us to answer it, but for us to realize we are not to judge one another in this sense. We are not the ones to destroy one another. In fact, what God has already saved, who are we to destroy? Slander undercuts the very unique right of God to be both lawgiver and judge. He alone 
has the ability to ultimately judge and ultimately to save or to condemn. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. And so we do not have the authority to sit in the judge's seat. To say that somehow we have that right is to undercut the very holiness and the very righteousness of God Himself. It doesn't mean, and I want us to be careful in how we think about this, because we do need to discern between what is judgment in what James is talking about and what is judging or discernment, not judgmentalism, but judging rightly. We, we are to do that in Scripture. In fact, Jesus Himself said that we are going to know a tree by its fruit. You can't even make that statement if you don't somehow make a judgment call about someone's life. Furthermore, the church within ourselves, we are to judge one another, even commanded. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you you are to judge? God judges those outside. But then he says, Purge the evil person from among you. And he's describing a man caught up in sexual sin that the church was unwilling to judge. They said, we don't, we don't want to be judgmental. We, don't, we, don't, we want to be all about love and all about, all about grace and all about peace. And we don't want to deal with this man's sin. And Paul says, you've done wrong, Corinth. You are to judge this man. And he goes on to tell them to put him out of the church. So there is a sense. By the way, if you read the second letter, he comes and repents. And you need to make sure you keep that in the story because they restore him when he repents in the second letter. But then he also says in the 11th chapter of the same letter to them, he says, but if we judged ourselves or or, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The difference between temporal kinds of judgments that we're supposed to act on in the church and eternal kinds of judgments that God himself alone can act on. And so we are to not judge one another and play in that role that God is. And so slander, how is it connected to slander? Well, slander is an eternal, destructive kind of an action. We're not trying to redeem when we slander one another. We're trying to destroy. It is to stand in God's role and do what only He can do. And by taking that role, we... We slander God's character. This is what James is saying. You become a judge of the one who alone can judge. And so you're promoting your own self-righteousness. Somehow as if you are righteous enough to sit on that seat and to call someone else to condemnation. You are ignoring the cross. The reality that it's Jesus who came and died for you when you deserved His judgment. When I deserved His judgment. We're ignoring the reality that Jesus died in our place and and you ignore the righteousness that He alone has. So to slander one another is both to slander God's character and it is also to slander God's law. So how do we guard against this in the body of Christ? Well, I want to I want to give you four very practical, very practical things. How do I guard against slandering other people within the body of Christ? Number one, go directly and in love to the one who has 
offense. Hear that. Write these down. Go directly and in love to the one who has an offense. We spend way too much time talking to one another about someone else's offense rather than talking to the person directly. And when we go, we often go with malice and frustration, anger in our hearts with the intent to tell them like it is rather than to restore our brother or sister in Christ. You want to guard against slander? Stop talking to your neighbor about the other one's offense and go to the person that offended you. Now, I don't want to discount at any, in any stretch the need to seek wise counsel. But we find ourselves going to someone that can't even hurt in the first, or rather can't even help in the first place because we just want to vent. There is no place for venting in the Christian life. We go to one another. Do you know why? Because when I go to you, I am saying that I trust the Holy Spirit of God in you to meet me at the place of God's Word and to stand upon the truth of God's Word and to restore our relationship in love. I trust God enough for that. And so I trust you, brother. I trust you, sister, that you're going to handle this according to Scripture. There ought to be that level of trust in the family of God. Amen? There ought to be that level of trust in the body of Christ. Go directly to one another. I promise you the church that's going to one another in love. For anyone who has an offense is going to be the church that avoids slander. Secondly, forgive one another and reconcile quickly. Forgive one another and reconcile quickly. We've already been there. We've already talked about what forgiveness means. And half the time we go to one another when another has an offense, but once we get it out of our system, we never let it go. We never erase the record. We continue to hold it against them. And in doing so, we're speaking evil against them in our hearts. And eventually that comes out of our lips. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks And so you want to guard against slander in your own life? Forgive one another and reconcile relationship quickly. Number three, don't listen to gossip or slander when it comes to you. Maybe you're not the one guilty of slander. But so often we become guilty of slander and gossip because we listen to it and engage it. Even passively, Maybe we don't join in on the, on the pity party or the beat-up session, but at the end of the day, we're even listening passively. And because that person has an ear, that, that, or that person, yes, that person has an ear to speak to, they keep speaking. And so we're encouraging it within the body of Christ. Our, our deacon body often uses this statement. We're not to have trash can ears hearing other people's slander and problems with one another. It puts an end to it real quick when you say, I tell you what, let's pick up the phone or let's go ahead and go to this person you have a problem with. I'll go with you, brother. I'll go with you, sister. Or maybe you just pause and you say, listen, I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray about this first. 
And then the next couple of days, we're going to go. I'm not going to let that go because that's something that needs to happen. We can't let unreconciled relationships go on, undealt with sin go on in our lives. And so we're going to do that rather than picking up the phone Monday morning. And did you hear about what happened at church on Sunday? We go straight to that person. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. The person that doesn't gain a hearing certainly is not going to be able to speak about another person. Unless they go outside of this body, and that's a whole other story. And number four, encourage accountability of the tongue within the body. Encourage accountability of the tongue within the body. This is really taking the other three and holding one another to an account to do the other three. Because it's not me or you alone. It's us that must maintain this kind of a culture in the church. In reality, it is practicing Matthew 18, the the biblical instruction to go to one another for the purpose of reconciling. We, We want to do that, but we have to hold one another accountable to that reality. There was a conversation just last week in this room about this very subject. People holding one another accountable and giving good godly counsel to say we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna just deal with this here. We're gonna go to that person and we're gonna deal with this subject. And there is, there's other steps to be taken. And if we had time, we, we could spend several weeks on what Matthew 18 really looks like within the body of Christ. It's, it's not as cut and dry as we might think. There's some messiness to it. But at the end of the day, the goal is we want to be people who practice that. That's, that's what we want to model, is what Jesus said, who would, when someone goes and sins against you, we go to one another and then bring good, godly Christian brothers and sisters with us. And then we bring that before the church that we might guard against slander within the body of Christ. I want to answer just another question in closing this morning real briefly. And I I wish we had more time here, but I I think that it doesn't need to go without being said. Some of you this morning would say, and and I think probably all of us in the room would say, in some, some sense of the word, that we've been the victim of slander. And to hear this passage as an instruction to those who are acting in the wrong way, but some of us have received that. And, and so you would say to me, Pastor, what do, you, what, do we, what do you do when there's a person or a group of people or a whole, a whole segment of, of the population that seems to be speaking against me regularly? And I, I want to just tell you, I've been in your shoes on that. And the temptation is to lash out. But I want to just remind us and bring all of us to this point of what what Peter said this morning about, about slander and receiving it. Peter said to the, the churches there across Asia Minor that if when you do good, by the way, he, he makes clear when you're doing good, if you're doing wrong and you're receiving the consequences of your actions, don't, don't complain. But he says when you do good and suffer for, for it, if, you, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's an unbelievable statement that God would call that gracious. Why does He say that? He says, for to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in His steps. And he goes on to speak the Gospel. Brother, sister, if you are the victim of slander, understand this. The one who slanders you is guilty before God and must repent. But you are in good company with our Christ. You see, this is not just an ethical issue. This is an issue of the Gospel. So no matter where we find ourselves, this this slander or the way that we receive it is an issue of the heart. Romans list it as a, as a product of the depraved mind. Matthew speaks of this as the defiled person, the one out of the heart, the mouth speak and on, speaks, and on that list is slander. See, the reality is we must all come back to the Gospel. We are all in need of Jesus on this front. And so if you're the person in this room, who is being slandered, know that Jesus suffered for you. And as a, slander, as a slandered person who didn't deserve it, He's left a pattern for you to follow. Love your brothers and sisters. If you are the person who is slandering, hear me carefully this morning. Jesus hated and died for the very thing that you are living for. And you need to repent. You need to surrender to Christ new today. The good news of the Gospel is that He'll forgive you. Isn't that good news this morning? If you'll turn to Christ, He will forgive you and He will close your mouth as He closed the mouths of the lions. But you must submit to His Word and His authority and love Him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I, I just simply want to invite you to do that. God's Word calls you this morning to repentance. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you don't know what it means to follow Christ this morning, know this, that there was one who suffered all of your wrongs and all of your offenses and all of your rebellion against a holy God, all of that slander of God Himself. God will forgive today. You'll trust Him by faith. You'll turn your life of unrighteousness and you'll receive His righteousness, the righteousness that is from God by faith. Today, apart from the blood of Jesus, you cannot be forgiven. But that blood was spilled for you so that you might be forgiven for all of eternity and so that you might have eternal life with God in Christ. Today you can know Him if you'll just trust Him. In just a few moments when we stand, if you step out of the place where you'll be standing and come to this altar, come to say, Pastor, today I want to receive Jesus. I'll help you. I'll help you. you just got to respond today and trust in Christ before it's too late. Others of you in this room, you've got ill will in your heart. And you need to grab that person by the hand and come to this altar and say, I'm sorry. Today will you forgive me? And can we pray together? And I want to ask God to forgive me the way I've been treating you. The Bible says that God will, will forgive our sins when we are faithful and just to, con to confess our sins. So you confess today and He'll be faithful and just to forgive you. 
Maybe other decisions need to be made in this room. I don't know what they are. But today is the day to trust in Christ and to surrender your life to Him in the way that He's called you to obey. So all across the room as we stand, I'm going to pray and our invitation will begin. Lord, I pray that You would help us to obey You today, this very day. And I ask it in Jesus' name. You come as they sing. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.